And I'm going to give you those fill-in-the-blanks right now. Point number one in your notes this morning, the Christian life is designed to prevent decay in the lives of those around us. You want to know what's the reason of being a Christian? We are salt. We are here to prevent decay in the lives of those who are around us. In the ancient world, salt was used as medicine. It was maybe put on wounds. Salt was used as gifts. It was given away. The Egyptians used salt in their mummification process. And even today, we can see that... If you've been to a museum and you have seen mummies or we've seen them on videos, it was salt that they used to preserve something for so much time. The ancient Greeks would refer to salt as a very divine substance. As a matter of fact, the Romans used to use salt to, to pay people for their services. It was called salarium. That's what they, they, they would refer to it as. It's where we get our English word salary. They would pay people in salt. And we still use a word that comes from that today. We pay people monthly. We give them a salary. See, whether salt was used in its medical form or it was used to preserve food, it is always used to prevent decay. If it's given to you as a salary, it's used to prevent a financial decay in your pocket, right? If it's given to you to put around meat, it is there to preserve or prevent decay within the meat, what you remember, Jesus is talking to believers. He's talking to disciples when he's giving them this message. Today, people we call Christians, and he's telling them that they are the salt and the light of the world. He's talking to you and me. He goes on saying this in Matthew 5, we're in the rest of uh, verse number 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? If salt is made to preserve something, if salt itself, though, loses its flavor and its preservation qualities, then what can it preserve? If it has no qualities to preserve anything, it is, Jesus would say, worthless. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that you've come to Christ and you've kind of slipped away. I don't want you to get the idea that, oh, you've lost your salvation and, and, and we're looking at, at eternal damnation. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is as a preserver of life, if our salt does not actually preserve life, that we as disciples, we as Christians, spiritually are worthless, right? Our witness is worthless if our salt has lost its flavor. Salt is salty and, and it's effective until it's not. And then its effectiveness is, is gone. Let's put that into our own world. Let's put that into our lives. What happens if it, at work you are the salt and the light? Everyone knows that you're the one that's going to invite them to church. You invite them all week long. 
Like they know you're the one that's going to come with a smile and you're going to come and talk about Jesus. And you're going to come and you're going to invite them to Thursday night Bible study. And you're going to tell them, hey, next week, you know what? On Saturday, our church is having an event out at McCardo Park. Come on, bring your kids. Come, let, let's, let's have a great time. It's absolutely free. You are going to be salt and light at work and in your community. That's what you're going to do. And, and, and that's part of your witness. But what happens when you start falling or if you start falling away from your faith? You start falling away from the church. What happens if you start wandering back into that old sinful lifestyle that you used to participate in? I'll show you what happens. Write this down. It's point number two in your notes this morning. Our Christian influence is diminished if we slip away from God's plan for our lives. Our Christian, our Christian influence is diminished if we slip away from God's plan for our lives. What happens when the coworkers that you saw last week or last month, you were inviting them to come to church with you, but they invited you now to like, hey, come hang out on Friday. You're like, all right, cool. And what they start seeing in you is they start seeing you you know, maybe you fell back into that lifestyle that, that you'd worked so hard and the Lord had pulled you out of. Maybe they, they see you, you know, drinking again, or maybe you're smoking a little something that you shouldn't be with them again, or you're hanging out in the back room that you shouldn't be hanging out with them again. Maybe we're slipping off and we're slipping away. Let me ask you this. What do you think happens when our salt as Christians and witnesses loses its flavor? Can we, can we ever make it salty again? That's what Jesus is saying. When our witness in Jesus loses its zeal and it loses its strength and, and, and we let ourselves trickle back into the world. Can we ever get it back? I think it's fair to say that what we've done in that moment is ruined our witness to people around us. We've ruined our ability to preserve God's status in their eyes. And we may have just made things a little more difficult for the gospel. We might have think, made things a little worse for the gospel. This world will absolutely welcome you back. It's going to welcome every Christian back. No questions asked. It'll be very happy to welcome you back. But for the Christian, the question is, what happened to your salt? What happened to your ability to preserve? What happened to our ability to be medicine in our world? What happens to our ability to have in our heart this message that is so valuable that people would pay for it in times past? People would, would cling to it in times past. They would trade precious stones to hear the message of the gospel, and we let it slip. What happens to all of that value that we have been taught, all of this value that Christ has put into us, when we're supposed to go out and be training others, the Bible says that our value is now worthless. That's a hard spot to be, right? Can you get back that salt and recharge our, our spiritual batteries and come back to minister to other people if we've slipped away? I'd argue, yeah, we can. 
Absolutely. We, we, we serve a very graceful God and a very forgiving God. And a God of second, third, and fourth chances, and we need that. Amen? Amen? But what about those people that witnessed our fall? That witnessed our fall again? What about those people who see no value in our testimony anymore? You were just over here talking to me about Jesus a couple of weeks ago, and now you're here with us hanging out with the guys? Like, I don't value your testimony anymore. What happens when you and I are the only people that God put in front of them, and the flavor of our salt is gone? What happens when we were put in front of them to tell them about Jesus, but we've lost it, that we slipped away? This is a lesson not only about Jesus telling us who we are, but he's also telling us what our responsibility is. I want you to come back with me to Matthew. We're in chapter 5, verse number 14. Jesus adds this to our responsibility. He gives us these words. He says, in Matthew 5, 14, he says, You are the light of the world. I'm going to stop again right there. For Jesus to tell his disciples that they are the light of the world, this presupposes something else. It presupposes and it understands if they are light, that means they live in what? Darkness. Right? There's no sense in being in light if you live amongst the light. He's saying you're the light of the world because there is darkness. He's not telling them that you guys go out, you're the savior of the world. That's not their job. That's the job of the son, of God the son. He's not saying I want you to go out and manage all things. That's the job of God the father. He's not saying I want you to go out and be the comforter to all. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. But he's telling them that they are light. He's telling you and me that we are light. This is so important. Point number three in your notes. I hope when you get home and you study these through the week, watch this. The Christian life penetrates darkness and shines opportunities for others to see Jesus. The Christian life penetrates darkness and shines opportunities for others to see Jesus. That's our job. In the book of Psalm, chapter 119, verse 105, it says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. If you and I are the light of the world, and if the word of God is the lamp for our feet and a light to our path, then we are to be the lamp for other people, the lamp for the feet and the path of other people. That's our job. That's what our responsibility is as Christians. And do you know why you are the light of the world? You know why it's up to Christians to be this light? So that we can shine Jesus for others to see. That's what we do. Is we shine the light of Jesus, right? We don't shine the light of ourselves. We don't shine the light of a, of a church brand. We shine the light of Jesus. We are the flashlight. We are not the source. We are the rays. We are not the sun. 
We are the brightness. We are not the cause. We are the examples. We are not the Savior. We are the light of the world. We are the light at the end of a tunnel, out of a long tunnel that leads others to the safety of the arms of Christ. You know that you know that this is our job, that we were given our job. Our job is to bring lost souls from the darkness and hand them to Jesus. That's our job. And you know what's next after we do that? Our job is to go find another lost soul and to bring another lost soul to Jesus. And when we do that is to go find another lost soul and to bring that soul to Jesus. Look what Jesus says about our light in Matthew chapter 5. We're in verse number 14, 14 and 15. He says this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. It's just like with our saltiness. It's just like the other part of the lesson that Jesus had taught us. There is a warning that comes with this lesson of being a light for Christ. It's a warning and a responsibility, and it's point number four in your notes this morning. If we keep if we keep our light of Jesus private, then somebody may never know their Savior. If we keep our light of Jesus private, then somebody may never know their Savior. We're given a job. We're given a responsibility. We're given a mission. We're given a direction. It's really astonishing to hear this scientific fact, and I know that I had brought this up from the pulpit a few weeks ago. It may have been at one of our other locations, but to hear this for the first time, sometimes it's a little bit of a shocker. Scientifically, darkness does not exist. Darkness, there's no such thing as darkness. Darkness, scientifically, is simply an absence of light. Spiritually, darkness is an absence of light the same thing. You cannot walk into a room within your hand a flash dark, okay? Hang with me a minute. You cannot walk in to a, to a room, a very lit room, and turn on your flash dark and take all of the room from light to pitch black. We can't do that, right? We can't, but you can walk into a dark room with a flash light and you can turn it on and you can make that room very bright, Quite the same, you cannot walk into a room where Jesus is and turn on a flash dark and take all of his light out of that room. He is so much more powerful than we are, amen? amen. We cannot extinguish, nobody can, non-believers can't, other faiths can't, governments cannot extinguish the light of Jesus. It cannot be done. But you and I can walk into a very, very dark room and we can turn on the light of Jesus and shine his love and brighten the room of every single soul in that room. Because we are the light of the world. I want you to realize the most important point in this lesson from Jesus this morning the most important point is this. You are the light of the world. He did not say, 
somebody else will. He didn't say somebody else is the light of the world. He said you. He said me. We are not a faith built on somebody else. We are a faith built on send me. We're a faith that's built on choose me. We're a faith that's built on I will go. That's built on it's my job. I am the light. I am the salt. I will tell others. It is my job. I am not in a church based on send somebody else. I am in a church based on send me. Amen? When Jesus said that you are the light of the world, there is a presupposition that he is making. There is already he knows that he needs you to be the light of the world. The reason is because you are now the light of the world because you live in a life, you live in a world that is full of darkness. That's why he needs light. And that's why he needs you. Because you live in this world. There is a reason that this church is a light of the world. It is because this church operates and lives in a world of darkness. We've talked about the numbers before. In the city of Paris, there are 73,000 people. About 4.3% of the people in our city claim to follow Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It means there are 70,000 people in this city alone that do not have a relationship with Jesus. 70,000 people, less than 5%. We live in a world of darkness. And there's so much room for the light of Christ. You are the light of the world because our world needs you to be the light. It needs our church to be the light. This world will not save itself. By its own pleasure, this world is going to walk further and further and further and further away from God. And it's going to laugh. And it's going to enjoy its own pleasures but its eternity is going to be full of rot. That's our job, is to preserve. It's not somebody else's job. It is absolutely our job. Jesus says a town on a hill cannot be hidden. At night, people would light their, their candles in his day. And you can see up on the hill, there's the city and there are the lights. Everyone knows that it's there because we see the lights. In our world, we turn on our lights and we turn on our electricity. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. A church on a hill cannot be hidden because it is also the light on that hill. In Paris, we are the candles that are lighting up the church in this city. That is us. That is every one of us. We're not to be hidden. As a church, we're not to be hidden as Christians, as individuals. But here's the question. What happens if the fire is doused? What happens? What happens if that flashlight is turned off? What happens if we put a bowl over the candle? 
what happens if as a church we lose our ability to be an influence in our city? If we lose our flavor of salt, what, if, what happens if our salt is no longer salty? What happens is then all of us, every single one of us, what happens is it's if we are all sitting individually in our own homes, and it's as if maybe, maybe a month later or maybe a couple of years later, we realize that, that there's somebody in our life, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a brother, a sister, a father or a mother, who are lost in the cornfield and can't find their way out. And by ourselves, we run into the cornfield looking for them and trying to save them, but it's just us. And we call somebody else, and they're not there. And we call somebody else, and they're not there. And maybe we try and gather help, and after some time goes by, there's a fourth picture of you or I sitting on our knee in a cornfield, and we're on our knee with the lifeless body of somebody who we couldn't get to fast enough, and we say, we say, oh God, what if we had come together hand in hand sooner? It's the power of the church. It's the power of his people coming together and working in unison and working together when God needs us to go out and rescue others in our world. Since May of 2018, when we started Sunday morning services, if we were to count every time somebody has walked in the door of church, every single person, every single time, do you know that over 2,275 times people have come to our church? You may have come 50 times. You count 50 times. But more than 2,200 times somebody has come through the doors of this church. And that's something to be thankful for. We have baptized so far this year, we have baptized six people so far. And I have a feeling we're going to double that before the end of the year. And that is something to absolutely be thankful for. We have had three people that we've known of who have come to Christ and given their life to Christ. And these are brothers and sisters that we're going to spend eternity with in heaven. And that is absolutely something to be thankful for. We have as a church knocked on and reached over 3,500 homes with invitations, inviting our neighborhoods to come to church with us. And that is absolutely something to be thankful for. We have provided school supplies and backpacks to those in our town who are less fortunate for children in our community. We've been able to share our personal experiences and to be raw with each other around the table on Thursday nights at Bible study and get to know each other. And that's something absolutely to be thankful for. We've been able to financially support missionaries who live on the other side of the world in a country that I can't even tell you because if somebody listened to this recording and found out who they were and found them, that they could be persecuted for the work that they are doing and we financially support them every single month and that's something to be thankful for. 
we've been able to purchase a vehicle for the church that allows us to not only move equipment back and forth, but even more importantly, it allows us to move people back and forth to get people to church every Sunday morning, and that's something to be thankful for. We have been able to provide coats to the homeless with a, with a coat drive last year. And so there are some people in our streets who may be a little more warm this year through your generosity. And that's to be thankful for. And we've been able to support SWAG, an organization that helps the homeless and get them off of the streets. Ladies and gentlemen, this church is salt and light in Paris. But one grain of salt out of that salt shaker, that it takes more than just that one piece. It takes a lot of salt to pack around meat to prevent decay. It takes a lot of salt, right? It takes us coming together. It takes many light bulbs to reach into an entire world of darkness. We have an entire city of darkness. And it's our job And it is our responsibility to keep our flavor, to keep salty, and to keep our light shining bright into our city. I'm going to ask David to come back up into play. And as David David plays, I'm going to lead us in prayer And it's going to be bold, I know. And earlier this morning, there was a bold conversation, and I'm going to ask for your prayer this morning. And I'm going to ask for your very bold prayer. And I'm going to ask for your continued financial support of this ministry and of this church. Because we need to be salt and we need to be light in our community. And we are here absolutely for a reason. I don't think that I've, I have had a more difficult message to bring from the pulpit so far. Because I don't know that we faced in a, a moment in our financial life that we haven't faced it to what we're facing right now. That we haven't faced this burden And today as we go to prayer, I'm going to ask for you to keep it on your heart that we're not looking to make comfortable decisions. We're not asking God to lead me to to a place that's comfortable. We're asking God to lead us to a place of trust. To lead us to where He wants us, not where we think we can go. Today our prayer for God to send me, to use me. A prayer of I will. A prayer of I don't belong to a somebody else church. I belong to an I will go church. I belong to a church that has a desire to reach Paris from within Paris, to reach souls for our Savior right here in our town. And that's going to require something of me. That's going to require us. It's going to require something different than what I'm giving right now, financially and in time and in, and in leadership and in, in, and in stepping into roles. 
God might be asking you to do something that you're not used to. Because you know what? That's what God does. He asks us to do things that we might not be comfortable with. Because he's stretching us. Because we are the salt and we are the light, but he is the creator of the salt and the light. If he gets to create those, he gets to plan it. He just simply tells us and it's our job to go, right?